and welcome to another episode of Downtime at the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, my name is Kim. I am a and scholarly communications librarian at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, uh, my name is Joe. I am a two-week-away-from-graduation uh, library student, and I work in admissions for the library studies department at URI. My pronouns are they, them. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we will talk about how both of you are new career librarians and, and how you found your way to librarianship and how you're finding it currently and all that fun stuff. Uh, but before we get to that, we start off as we always do with what have you all been reading? I've been doing a lot of just sort of comfort reading over the past winter. And for me, that usually means mysteries and sort of binging on a mystery series. I really liked Longmire. It's a TV show as well, but the books are just great. It's about a sheriff in, in Wyoming and his you know, deputies and friends. It's a great mystery series. But just last night, I picked up a new book by an author named Jeff Vandermeer who I read again over the winter. I wouldn't call it a cozy mystery series. Uh, he's more of a... It, it's hard to distinguish between fantasy and sci-fi with his work. It's um, it's set in what could conceivably be a real world, either post-apocalyptic or just a world where some strange environmental disaster has happened, and then things just go crazy from there. So over the winter, I read his Southern Reach trilogy, the first book is called Annihilation, and I remember reading it and thinking, this is just somebody's insane dream written down, because how I, I, you can't even tell how things are fitting together or where things came from or what's happening. Um, and oddly enough, I read an interview with him later where it actually did come to him in a dream. And a lot of, the, a lot of his stuff he dreamed and built this world around. Um, I really like that in, in his, at least in this trilogy, that you come away with it still not really knowing what it was that you read and not having a full understanding. And I like being left a little confused by a story. I like not understanding at all. Um, so I have very high hopes for the book I started last night by him, which is called Born, which um, is set in. So I don't know why it's a post-apocalyptic type world, Earth, but um, there seems to be a very large dog-like creature that people follow around. So I'm interested to see where that goes. <laughs> I think I remember like the seeing the cover of that when that first came out. It's like a couple years old, right? Born the Born mm -hmm. book. I yeah, I think so. Is it like the cover is yeah. like a amalgamation of it? Like kind of looks like a bird, but like kind of looks like a heart. And okay, yes, I I yes. didn't read it, but I yes. remember looking at that cover a lot, being like, "What's the story with that book?" Yeah, yeah. Um, it I, it would have drawn me in even if I hadn't already read that Southern News trilogy and really loved it. Um, and I will say for that that first book, Annihilation, in that trilogy, they did make that into a movie. So if you've seen the movie and you think you understand, that the movie is very different from the book. And I think the book is a lot better and, and a much better story. So a lot of my readings right now are, are for school. Um, but I am in uh, taking a uh, fictions of neoliberalism course right now, uh, where we're reading like a novel a week. So it's fairly breakneck. Um <laughs> But I, for that class, recently read uh, Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go, which was phenomenal. Um, so it is science fiction-ish, um, 
but it's it's set in like early 90s Great Britain um, and follows um, this main the main character, Kathy. And it's her just sort of like doing this meandering retelling of her life at this weird secluded boarding school um, into her young adult days. And it, it sort of spirals out from there. I don't want to give too much away because it is sort of kind of a mystery um, it kind of closed the place pretty quick while I was reading it, but just really gorgeously written. I found the story really engaging, um, which was not an opinion shared by all of my classmates. She is very much a, a meandering narrator where like she just kind of drifts in and out of different like anecdotes, uh, which I really liked and found charming. And then we just finished reading Ali Smith's Autumn, uh, which is a like semi-surreal snapshot of like 2016 Great Britain and the rise of like Brexit and Boris Johnson and all that. Um, and so it sort of juxtaposes um, the main character, Elizabeth Demand, is sort of going through like the daily indignities of modern society where like she needs to get a passport, but her face is the wrong size on the picture and all this other stuff. And then it, against um, one of the other characters who is like 102 and on the verge of, of dying in elder care and is kind of drifting in and out of these like wild surrealist dreams. Um, but that is part of, I believe Allie Smith did a four novel series where she put out one a year based off of different seasons. So you've got like spring, autumn, winter, summer. Um, I have not read the other three, but autumn was lovely and pretty breezy. Uh, I think I read it in like two days. Breezy because autumn is breezy. Ha-ha. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was good that you got through it fast if it was for a class. I always hate when things drag and it's like, I have a deadline. So, a novel a week is a lot for a class. Yeah. Especially one of those That's is uh, John Lancaster's Capital, which is like 600 pages. <laughs> well, you're, you're in the home stretch. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you can do it, Joe. I believe in you. <laughs> Um, so for what I've been reading, I haven't been going through as many things as quickly as I usually do, which is not very quick to begin with, because I recently bought a Switch and started playing Animal Crossing, and that has been consuming most of my evenings. But it's been lovely and a lot of fun. Um, but I did read a graphic novel, uh, Super Late Bloomer by Julia Kay. Once again, I'm, I'm in a little bit of a like webcomic turned print graphic novel zone because the past few episodes I've talked about that and I believe this was also um and it was that she for the first I forget exactly all the comics are dated it was like almost every day that she was drawing these little like three or four panel comics about the first I want to say six months of her transition and so it was really interesting seeing inside someone's head and inside their life during such a transformative point in their life. I mean, some of them are serious and talks about like family members that had pulled away from her after her coming out and starting to transition like socially and medically. Um, but also it talks about times where, you know, she has gender euphoria because she gets gendered correctly in stores. And um, so it's really, it was really a lovely read. I think she also did a follow-up that I'm interested in reading now that I've read the first one. But so if, uh, 
if you're looking into insight into an experience that's nothing like your experience, I think you will take something away from this. If you are looking for mirrors for your experience, and I think there's something there for um, for both types of people. I definitely definitely was a window for me, and so. But again, without being like super heavy, it, it, it was very balanced in its levity. And it's sometimes like, I don't even want to say seriousness, you know, the ups and downs, it felt very realistic. Are you familiar with graphic medicine? There's a whole collection at the UMass Medical Library, which if we ever get to go back and work in person, might get to look through a little bit more. Um, talking about illness, talking about different topics. Uh, related to health through graphic novels. And there was a conference that was held a few years ago at UMass. I can send you a link about what was talked about there if you're interested in our repository and publicly available. Awesome. Yeah, I feel like I've noticed now that you're talking about it, there's been like a movement towards graphic science in children's literature for a while of like, yeah. let's take a con- let's take a concept that's somewhat complicated or just STEM related and, and break it down for people into a graphic novel there's I think it's science comics is the series yeah um and they've done a bunch and I know they just came out with one that was about the digestive system so that's what made me think of it like you're talking about graphic medicine and teaching I just bought a graphic novel it just came out in a new edition to include information about COVID research and so I bought it because I was like I think this is a great thing to have in the collection when adults are having all kinds of questions never mind kids there's all these questions from adults about like you know what's safe what isn't safe what's a acceptable amount of risk and i think information is the the greatest tool to combat all of that anxiety so i think for kids who are hearing a lot of things and even have adults in their life who are like i don't have all the information or i have incorrect information there's a lot of that going around too which is unfortunate to see so i really appreciate people who are like let's take things and break it down and make it understandable for people who have arts degrees (laughs) (laughs) no but just for everyone yeah and i mean so the collection isn't even even just just that as a way to describe sort of hard science topics it's also memoirs people talking about experiences they've been through so it can be a really beautiful way of drawing people in to understand what someone might be going through if they have a particular disease or a particular transition um which is what made me think of it when you're describing the, the, the graphic novel you're reading how much of a sort of a gateway it can be to reaching a lot of different types of people who might not pick up a, a big nonfiction book about a topic they want want to hear about it um, and see it at the same time. Yeah. And like bring in that humanizing aspect. When, when you talk about like memoir, I think it's important to bring in the human aspect of, yeah. of illness, particularly. Like it's important yeah. to remember that there are people who have these illnesses <laughs> and they have, you know, all kinds of responses to that. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. So before we get to in the weeds about illnesses, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what have you all been watching? Um, well, going along with my mystery theme and our comfort type food sort of thing, uh, over the winter, my husband and I started watching the original CSI that was based in Las Vegas. And there's something like 15 seasons that this show went on for. <laughs> so we've been watching through that. And also uh, Star Trek The Next Generation 
something we also watched kind of the first time around and, and long enough now that we remember some of them and some of them are like that brand new and it's such a great series. Um, we're having a lot of fun. But just this weekend, my son and I binge watched Good Omens. I read the book years ago and loved it, um, loved Tetchet and Neil Gaiman. And then the show was just fantastic. And I was so happy to experience it with my son, who's nine. Um, so it's a little bit above his head for the most part, but he, he loved it. He was so into it. He didn't want to turn it off. So now I get some Terry Pratchett books on order thinking that hey, maybe, maybe this is something he'll like. It's a really great, it's a really great show. Yeah, I hadn't read the books. I only watched the show, but I already was a huge David Tennant fan. But like him and Michael Sheen, both of their performances were fantastic. So yeah, just to see those two just like riff on screen for six or seven episodes is a treat. And I'm hoping this will also help me get my son into Doctor Who. He's been kind of resistant to it for some reason. Um, But now maybe if he realizes that Crowley is Doctor Who is the doctor, maybe he'll help start watching it because <laughs> I feel like he's really missing part of his education <laughs> part of his sci-fi education definitely exactly I mean he's done Star Wars he's ignored Star Trek he's not into the next generation either but Doctor Who it's, it's, he's, he's gonna see it he's named after a character in Doctor Who I'm not gonna say which one <laughs> but it's really important that he likes this <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny that you bring up Star Trek because uh, my boyfriend and I just started watching the original Star Trek. I had never seen it. He had seen some of the original series, but um, he hasn't seen any of Next Gen. So we're like, we're starting at the beginning, but eventually we're going to get to Next Gen, which I'm very excited about because I love Next Gen. And so I'm excited for him to see that. We watched like three episodes of the original series. So I'm really trying to give it a chance because three episodes in so far, it feels kind of formulaic. I'm like, okay, so you go to a planet. Someone seems human, but they're not human. And now we have to figure out how to deal with them. And the outcome probably is murder. Uh, So... I think also because partially I'm used to Next Gen where it's like so many different types of episodes. We've got episodes on planets. We've got episodes that are all just like within the ship and dealing with the lives and stories of the people who occupy the Starship Enterprise. And we've got time shenanigans, different types of narratives in Next Gen. And I, from what I've heard about the original series, I think it eventually will get there. But right now I'm just like, we get it. And I have to say the time shenanigans are usually my favorite episodes of um, Next Generation. (laughs) I don't know. It's hit or miss for me because I have very little patience for like a time loop. And we've gone through the same time loop for like three or four times. But that's just me. Yeah. You like will not watch Groundhog Day with Bill Murray? I've never seen that movie. Oh, that's such a great movie. Oh, you've got to see that movie. I say I can get frustrated by a time loop too, but Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies. And I think Bill Murray really sells, like, making that loop enjoyable. And Harold Ramis is, is smart enough to, like, after one or two loops, start showing other parts of the day. Um, yeah, yeah. It breaks up the monotony of the same day over and over a little bit. Okay, maybe I'll have to give that a try then. and Because it is one of those things that, like, cultural things. We talked about this last week, about, like, movies that are cultural touchstones that you feel like you should have seen but have never seen. And Groundhog's Day definitely is one of those for me that people are like, it's like Groundhog's Day. And I'm like, well, I understand the basic premise. So I understand when people are like, this is like Groundhog's Day. I'm like, oh, okay, the same day over and over again. Yes, 
But yeah, so I guess I'll have to just like increase my cultural knowledge a little bit. Plus, it's Bill Murray, and you just you just can't say no to a Bill Murray movie, at least. And Andy McDowell is fantastic in it. You won't regret it. And if you do regret it, you can come yell at us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yes. I'll slide into your Thank DMs you on Twitter and be like, Joe. Um, <laughs> no, I'm sure it will be fine. Um, but so, Joe, what have you been watching? So I recently for that fictions of neoliberalism class finally got around to playing through um tacoma which is um a very very good game from the studio that did gone home if anyone is familiar with that title is a like sci-fi narrative game uh where you you are a like freelance subcontractor hired by this huge tech corporation to go onto a, a evacuated space station and retrieve their like proprietary AI um, that's like in the main control area. Um, and so as you like work your way through the station, sort of like downloading the files they need you to get, um, you start playing back the like recorded video logs of the crew of the station during like the last couple days before they had to get evacuated. Um, and so you work through this, this, mere scenario of neoliberalism in space uh, uh, but it's it's very engaging the whole thing is is phenomenally voice acted but both that and gone home are are fantastic picks that i would absolutely recommend anyone checking out so i recently played through that because i'm using it for a paper and um <laughs> i also started fiddling around with uh this piece of software called tailspire which is uh, it like just came out on early access, but it is a like 3D modeling Dungeons and Dragons like map builder. Um, so it's early access. I believe it's twenty five dollars, um, but it just has a bunch of like pre made 3D assets that you can build your own boards off of. Um, and then if you have, like other friends that also have the software, you can invite them to those maps as players and sort of like run a game through it. Um, or if you're like me and your friends don't have it, you can just stream your screen through Discord and move their miniatures for them when they tell you what they want to do. Um, so those have been my two, like, unwind, like, game experience. Well, unwind as I take notes for my final paper. Um, uh, and then I guess Comfort Media, I am on, like, my third or fourth rewatch of The Good Place. Um, it's just... I don't know. It's just something I can put on, have this like noise in the background while I do something else and listen to those antics. <laughs> um, you describing the premise of Tacoma, have you played or heard anything about the game Prey than E? It's like a very similar premise. Gameplay wise, there is the additional kind of like jump scares have to deal with aliens kind of thing. Um Ooh, which may, may have been a spoiler for the game. Sorry. It's a very similar vibe of um, trying to piece together what happened as someone whose memory keeps getting what? Again, ugh, all these descriptions feel spoilery. Uh, so I'm sorry, everyone. So the main character doesn't remember what happened. And so that's why there are like these big reveals because the the main character at the beginning of the game thinks this is just like another day going into work at this company that they and their brother um, run. 
seems like the brother owns it, but it's unclear what your role exactly is in it. Uh, so like this family business kind of thing, it which is like future tech. It's set. I actually think the date happened recently that it was set like 2021, but it came out like three or four years ago. So that was the near future <laughs> at that point. But yeah, so it's like you're looking in the computer for all these like files and voice memos that people have left to other people to piece together everything that's happened because you don't remember because you have to keep having your memory like reset. So space stuff. (laughs) It is. Yeah, it's kind of like and I'm not usually into creepy stuff, but it does kind of like border on a kind of horror thing and then with the jump the enemy jump scares a little bit like I, I spent most of playing the demo just like tense I was like oh my god oh my god that trash can is that trash can gonna become something oh my god uh, which is the thing just like white knuckling the controller through the whole thing but I think the story is interesting and I know a lot of games have advertised this but it, it does kind of tell you that there are like alternate ways to do things so there is kind of like you're encouraged by the game to not necessarily just like go all in shoot everyone with your gun kind of thing like that there is sneaky routes there are kind of like routes to avoid as opposed to just like fighting face on and stuff like that environmental stuff that you can kind of like make traps and stuff so it I thought it was an interesting concept on top of like the story concept being interesting it was an interesting concept of like a lot of different ways to solve one problem. So I thought that was interesting. And maybe someday I'll play more than the demo. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll return to the show after a quick break. with the Cranston Public Library will be celebrating National Teacher Day on Tuesday, May 4th, and we need your help. Call in to 401-943-9080, extension 157, and leave a message to share your appreciation for an educator in your life. You might hear your call on the podcast. Deadline for submissions is Friday, April 30th, 2021. Join us on Monday, May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. to learn some tips and tricks for remote learning. Get helpful advice on remote learning from a 20-year homeschool veteran who will talk about how to relieve stress for kids and adults and revive energy for learning. This event is free and open to the public. For more information and to register, please visit cranstonlibrary.org remote learning. So I want us to have enough time to talk about your new budding library careers. (laughs) I thought we would start out with how you both got into librarianship librarianship, because I always think that that's very interesting and I feel like there's a lot of different paths that lead people to librarianship. And so I'm always interested to hear how people got here. It's actually my favorite part about talking to other people um, in in grad school at, at URI, you know, because everybody came from a different point in a previous career or they're you know, just starting out on a career and they knew they wanted to be in, in the library. So mine is rather meandering. 
I would say <laughs> I had gone to grad school previously uh, for neuroscience and you know, knew by the end that um, running a lab and being a professor was the absolute wrong career path and I needed something different. And so then I spent probably five or six years as a freelance medical writer since I had that science background. I would sort of translate research articles into something that the non-scientist or the non-doctor could understand. So I worked for a website where if you had a certain condition, you could sign up. You know, so if you had diabetes, you could sign up and you would get these summaries of the current research on what's being done as treatments for diabetes. So I did that for a number of years, as well as copy editing which is, for those who may not know, anytime something is published, a book or a magazine or anything, someone sits there and reads through and makes sure the grammar is correct and the punctuation is the right thing and that a book follows the same format. So I did a lot of that. Um, And then somewhere along there, I realized that, I I, I don't know why this didn't occur to me earlier, but that there are librarians that focus on the sciences. (laughs) There are. It was a job ad at Brown which is you know, not too far from where I was living and um, for a life sciences librarian. I was just like, oh, I could, I could do that. <laughs> um, I did not get that job because I had no actual background in being a librarian. But once I saw that job ad, I started that URI. If you get my master's in librarian and information studies. And so that led me to the job I have now, which is um, at a medical school. So I, I went to... Um, URI specifically because I wanted to be a scientist or a medical librarian. It was a great, great program. I'm really glad I ended up there. Because I know when I found out that you had like a neuroscience degree, I was like, okay, so then how did you end up wanting to become a librarian? Like you were an actual scientist. <laughs> and as it turned out, now that I have, you know, I've been working for a year and meeting other people and librarians in different universities, there are a bunch of us who almost specifically neuroscience, I've met four or five different people who got a PhD and then didn't want to continue on an academic path um, or go into um, more of a a pharmaceutical company or or research for a company. And a lot of us have become librarians, um, usually on the data side, helping researchers learn how to manage data or you know, run a repository so that there's a place to put your data should you need to, um, or on the scholarly communication side, which is helping researchers publish and everything that goes along with that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've come across quite a few people with different science backgrounds who are now librarians. So I think it's a choice if you have that background. You can then help other people whose passion it is to do the research and to run the lab. Because you kind of know what it was like, particularly for grad students, and, and you know what they're going through. Um, and um, have that background. It's, it's, it's helpful. Yeah, I think I was so surprised because up until I met you, I had only really met people who had fairly similar stories to me, at least in terms of their undergrad. Like I'd met people obviously who were second career librarians or pursuing librarianship as a second career. Um, But it seems like a lot of people are like, I was a history major in undergrad and then I didn't know what to do with my history degree. So became a librarian or English. Like, like I had, I had librarians who were in 
the field already tell me that like, oh, librarians with an undergrad degree in English are a dime a dozen. And I was like, thank you. Um, If it makes you feel better, my undergrad is in English. (laughs) That does make me feel better, actually. So what about you, Joe? What led you to librarianship? So um, my undergraduate was in um, baking and pastry arts. Um, And so... While I was in school, actually even before I was an undergrad, and then for the better part of a decade after coming out of undergrad, I worked um, in various kitchens as a pastry chef. So you can say like I have a, a go, hopefully going to be a second career librarian uh, if somebody will hire me when I'm done with school. Um, but so uh, for me, I had during my undergrad, um, I guess to, to jump in on the dime a dozen, um, in addition to baking pastry arts and, and hospitality, um, I did like a minor in literature and had considered and, and played with like going back for something with literature. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't know if it's like a literature degree is what I want. Um, and then sort of doing research in that general area. I was like, oh, librarianship, that seems like a much better fit. And then when I like had brought it up, a lot of my friends in my life were just sort of like, yeah, you would be a good librarian. Like you, like that's your vibe. I was like, oh, well, all right then. <laughs> um so I had I'd been I guess sort of toying with that for a while um and then when I was a 25 I like stopped and took stock of my life and realized that working in kitchens had me at my mid 20s with a bad back carpal tunnel and a chronic respiratory infection so I was like I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to get out of here now so I did um and then found URI, moved down here, and I turned my last paper in in two weeks. Yay! Yay! Congratulations! Well, I wish you the best of luck on your last paper and all your last pushes. Um, I know you will do fantastic. I, I took a picture of the screen when I handed in my last paper for URI. <laughs> so, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to go to school. I'm taking this picture and remembering. <laughs> that. Yeah, that's why I kind of, I do sympathize with people who weren't able to walk last year and who, yeah. wait, is, are people going to, are you going to be able to walk this year? Yep. Um, that's good. It, I do sympathize with people who miss it because I definitely was the type of person where I was like, I worked way too hard on this to not celebrate this a little bit but then again like David was the opposite he was like I don't want to walk I'll walk if family wants me to walk but other and then his graduation got canceled so that decision was made for him but he was not broken up about it at all whereas if that had all happened like a year earlier I think I probably would have been very upset about it because I'm just like this is your moment to celebrate your accomplishment and what and what you've done and just like grad school generally it's not something that everyone does so I think it's I don't know I think it's something special yeah I was supposed to to walk with with Dave um but and and I have to say watching it was a little underwhelming but also it was more the handing in of that last paper like you said that's why that's why I took the picture because that was just the that relief and the the knowing that I had done it. That wave of relief of knowing exactly. you'll never like be forcibly made to write twenty pages in APA format. Like <laughs> this is it. I did it. I did it. And so that will feel so good. And I know like getting the diploma was also kind of like a very made it real moment. With like oh yeah. that's also awful that you have to wait like three more months after 
after yeah. you graduate before they're like, we're going to send you the paper that makes it legit in like August. <laughs> so we'll get back to you then. Um, but I know that was very kind of like, uh, it's like, this is it. This is the, pay- this is my ticket. This is my golden ticket into the librarianship. I got to take that away from you. <laughs> Uh, Joe, have you thought about how you might bring your pastry background into librarianship at all? A little. Like, there are certainly, you know, culinary schools out there that have libraries. Um, you know, Rhode Island, we've got the big Jewu campuses right there. For me, um, it hasn't been like a, I guess, a super, like, front of my mind kind of thought. Um, mostly, I guess, I'm just glad I guess to have those skills like I know I can cook for myself um you know a really expensive way to learn like get that life skill but I have it um (laughs) yeah I mean I certainly am not like opposed to the idea of culinary librarianship um I guess it just hasn't been something I've like really actively sought out at this point but maybe someday it'll it'll come to me is there a particular type of librarianship that you are hoping to get a job in uh I mean I would love to get a job with an academic library. Um, though uh, job hunting now, it's a lot of academic library positions that are open that are like, we want you to already have like five to seven years of academic library experience. Pretty significant hurdle to try and like throw your hat in the ring and be like, I'm sure I can make up for it with Moxie. Um, <laughs> but I, fingers crossed, will have an opportunity with the Rhode Island State Library this summer uh, which, you know, not academic, but still going to be great experience and something professional to put down on a resume. So I'm pretty, I guess I'm pretty open as, as far as like where my MLIS degree will take me. Um, I just hope it takes me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go back to kitchens. Yeah, I, I feel like during the current environment, that's a good attitude to have. That you're yeah. just open to wherever the road leads, because it's as someone who just watched someone job hunt really recently, uh, it's not, yeah, it's 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 tough, but there is hope, and I think it also comes in cycles of like we even like this past summer, there were a ton of director jobs that dropped. And so it's like, okay, as a new career librarian job hunting, that was a very frustrating thing to see because that is like end career stuff. And when that's all that's getting posted, it can be very frustrating. But that kind of, as people move up the ladder into those positions, things towards the bottom start to open up. And so it's kind of, I don't know, you can maybe hope if you're seeing a lot of the five to seven year experience thing now, when people who now have that five to seven years move up, hopefully there will be space for you with fresh new perspectives to bring new energy <laughs> into this library. See, that's you got to spin it positive. Um. <laughs> yes. And I wonder if COVID just brought a wave of retirements at those director levels for whatever reason. I wonder if that's why. The thought definitely occurred to me seeing some of the listings. I was like, yeah, directors are just like... I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to deal with this. I can't even imagine what it was like to run a library or be in charge of a library during, during something like this. It's not a job I would have wanted to have. So 
We wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a bookish or library-related question, just to give our opinions of it, not to give definitive answers on the internet. Um, (laughs) So my question for both of you is, what is your favorite way to find new books to read? Um, It's a little trickier these days, uh, but I have always been a big fan of uh, like serendipitous browsing. Uh, back when you could go in person, I would probably have like one book in mind that like I knew I wanted and like I knew I wanted to read um, and then would give myself like, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to just sort of wander and see what like titles or covers caught my eye and pick up from there. Like that's how I found Meddling Kids, uh, which is I don't want to say young adult, but probably like in that like older young adult fiction kind of area where it's basically these like stand-in kids for the Scooby gang uh minus their Freddy come back to like the the summer town they grew up in solving mysteries uh to sort of confront their PTSD about it when it turned out that the last mystery solved was actual Lovecraftian horrors and not a guy in a mask um coming back as like mid-twenties um and just truly scarred from their childhood trauma um trying to like make it all work out um and I had a lot of fun with that shout out to South Kingston Free Library uh I know Cranston has had browsing open for a while so for people who are like oh are the libraries open for browsing yes we are at least we are I can't speak for other libraries in the state but you can come into mine and browse we're open I I know that Providence is open, the Providence Community Libraries at least, um, and the East Providence Weaver Library I know is open for browsing. So I think a lot of places are are um, getting back to not normal, but semi-normal. Um, and I have to agree with Joe. There's a lot of, of great stuff I found just by sort of wandering through either the library book stacks or in a bookstore. Um, Wayland Square in Providence has a great bookstore called Upstairs. Um, no, I'm sorry, Bookstore Square. Um, they just always have great books put out that you can browse through. It's where I found Jeff Vandermeer for the first time. Um, and also Instagram. I've, I've found um, a lot of great people who are posting about what they're reading. And so I just you find some people that are posting about books that you like and start following them. And oftentimes you come across some, some other really great stuff that you never would have found otherwise. Yeah, I was going to say social media is like the surprising one for me of I didn't think that that was going to be a place, particularly Twitter. I've been trying to use Twitter more. Um, I don't know why, just because I felt (laughs) like that was a place to be. And I don't know, also kind of like the fact that not as many people follow me on Twitter as are friends with me on Facebook is like a benefit sometimes of like, now I can put this weird 280 characters out into the universe and maybe like one or two people think it's funny, but the people who I don't want to see it also won't see it. (laughs) Um, But that's a digression. But Twitter has been like, there are accounts. I just followed an account that gives out recs or LBGTQIA plus reads. And so that has been great. But even just like through Twitter has where it shows you things that people you follow like, I think through that, I saw something, maybe someone retweeted it. I saw something that was like a audiobook, a sci-fi audiobook that Jennifer Hale did. And she's the voice of Femship from the Mass Effect games. And I was like, yes, I want Femship to read a sci-fi novel to me. Bookmark. <laughs> 
that I'll check that out later. Um, so yeah, so I've been like pleasantly surprised with social media and its ability to like bring new books to my attention. Sometimes it's overwhelming. It's like I never can get to all of this, but it's also been nice because you discover things like that that I'm like, I never would have known about that. Twitter is good. I never would have known that LeVar Burton went back to Star Trek Next Generation, has his own podcast where he just reads you stories. These really cool sci-fi type stories. And, you know, for those who don't know who LeVar Burton is, he was also the man behind Reading Rainbow. And so you want LeVar Burton to read you stories. It's it's a good throwback to your childhood, as well as finding great new authors um, that you can first listen to and then go read some more. I also would like LeVar Burton to be the host of Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. Putting that out there. Get him in there. (laughs) Get him in. He's ready. Is that is that a possibility? It's like a thing that he's tweeted about now, so he's into it. But it was, I think, a thing that originally people had just proposed when Alex Trebek passed away and could no longer host the show. And it was this big question mark of who was going to host the show. And people were like, I think LeVar, LeVar Burton should host the show. And then I think he got wind of that kind of like fan cast of uh-huh. people who were like, put LeVar <laughs> Burton in jeopardy. And he's, and he's like tweeting it like, I'm ready. I'm here. Hit me up, Jeopardy. So, <laughs> I hope that happens. I would love that. That would be awesome. So I just use Twitter to make Kate Bush jokes. So <laughs> that's that social media slice for me. I had to, to say that Twitter is actually really great for library information in general. Um, there's a lot of um, academic librarians who give out great information on Twitter, um, both in the sciences and in other other areas. So look for that. No, agreed. That was another reason that I wanted to start using Twitter more is I was like, library Twitter. Yeah. I should get on that. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Joe's Kate Bush jokes. That's why you needed to use Twitter more. (laughs) I mean, also that. Uh, (laughs) All right. So I think that's a good place to end. Um, So thank you both for joining me. For everyone listening, if you'd like to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do so by emailing us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And if you're feeling generous, please go rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, because it helps people find the show. Thank you for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, Connect with CPL on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. And that's it. All right. We made a podcast.